Life is messy and hard and full of opportunities to learn and grow. This is Mandy Jenkins. I believe that our humanness makes us kindred and sharing our stories makes us brave. The goal of the Kindred and Brave Project is to support you in being a learner instead of a knower by offering actionable practices for you to try in your own lives. My podcast aims to cultivate community by focusing on heart-first, human-centered, story-driven connection. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm excited to be here today. I will be talking to you right before Christmas and um, talking about one of my favorite topics ever in the world. And before that, of course, I would like to share a glimmer with you. Um, I would like to warn you that this glimmer may not seem like a glimmer originally as I tell you the story because it's, it's rather sad, but it's meaningful. At the beginning of every quarter in my Communications 101 class, I give my students what I call an object speech assignment. And they get really nervous. We've only known each other for about a week. The, the term speech freaks everybody out. But I remind them that their job is just to bring in something that represents them or that they care about and to talk a little bit about it. I do this so we can get to know each other. I do this to teach them a little bit about vulnerability and how we can grow from doing the things that we're afraid of. And also because at the end of the quarter, they give um, other types of speeches. So it's kind of a buildup for that. So as we practice and prepare for it, I tell them that I will do an object speech. And in the past few quarters, since I'm teaching online, I come onto the Zoom meeting and I show them what looks like a beautiful glass ball. And what I tell them is that this object is my mom. And you can see their eyes widen and they look a little bit confused. And I share with them that her ashes are blown into the glass. I share the story about how she died and I was her caretaker and she was my best friend and how meaningful our relationship was and also that we loved blown glass. So the Monday after Thanksgiving, a student came into the Zoom class as she normally does. She's a wonderful, wonderful student. She has an A in the class. She's never missed a class. And she asked me um, in a chat if I could stay on after class. She needed to talk to me. So I knew something was wrong. And after everyone left the Zoom room, she burst into tears. And I said, what's, what's going on? What happened? And she said, my mom just died. And I took a deep breath and I told her how sorry I was. And I asked her when, and she said, the day after Thanksgiving. So my mind was kind of blown because here she was just two days after that coming into a Zoom classroom. And I said, please know that you don't have to pressure yourself to come to class for the rest of the quarter. We can figure this out. You can take the time that you need. And she said, I haven't really even told anybody yet. And I remembered the story that you told about your mom in the beginning of the quarter. So I just felt like I needed to come and tell you. And that's why it's a glimmer for me, because if my mission for the Kindred and Brave project is to believe that our humanness makes us kindred 
and sharing our stories makes us brave. Then that is exactly what happened. I said that the Kindred and Brave project aims to cultivate community by focusing on heart-first, human-centered, story-driven connection. And there it was, right in front of me. The proof. Sharing our stories matters because it connects us. And I immediately emailed my department chair after class and asked about ways to offer grief coaching and facilitate grief groups to students and faculty on campus. Since my mom has died, I have taken two very important trainings with leaders in the grief community to become grief certified. As many of my colleagues in the grief space say, we are a grief illiterate culture. Let me say that again. We are a grief illiterate culture. In one quarter alone, I had three students lose parents and spouses. Like many spaces in U.S. American culture, including many workplaces, this is often treated with what we know or call bereavement. As if two to four days is enough time to even get past the stage of shock at losing a loved one. So stay tuned and I'll let you know how this conversation goes. So on to today's topic, as I mentioned, one of my favorite ever, the topic of empathy. It's a term that's thrown around all the time, and it's a term that has a really positive connotation. We want to be known as empathetic. We know it's important, but how do we do it? I mentioned in the introduction episode that I learned to practice empathy when I was in Uganda. We had a culture training before we got into our classrooms with our team teachers. And I can tell you that empathy was something that was mentioned over and over again, but it wasn't from a book. It was just mentioned that it was important. And my first thought was, how the hell do I walk in the shoes of young men? And my students were all young men from the ages of 12 to 24 because I was at an all boys school some of whom were abducted, forced to become child soldiers, and forced to do unthinkable things, including kill their family members. I couldn't, nobody could walk in those shoes. So what I focused on was trying to relate to them. And I had a dream of my students at Purdue relating to them as well. I was teaching English language arts and they were learning how to write letters. So I came up with a really fun assignment for them to set up a pen pal exchange. I would be going back and teaching a class at Purdue and I would bring their letters home and assign my students each a pen pal or two or three, depending on the amount of students that were in each class. So the Ugandan students shared information about themselves, about Ugandan culture, and they asked a lot of questions about what school in America was like. And I created an assignment for my students to do the same. I knew that a mentor from the organization was traveling back to the States in the fall, so I brought him all of the letters to return back to Uganda. Now, did this keep going? I don't know. It was too much to be in charge of at the time. I had good intentions, and it was my first try at really doing empathy. Then, as many of you know, I've learned so much. 
from Brene Brown. Lessons I use daily with my classes and my clients. And now even my son, who's nine, every single day. So first, speaking of this idea of walking in somebody else's shoes, I want to read you what Brene says in her latest book, Atlas of the Heart. We need to dispel the myth that empathy is walking in someone else's shoes. Rather than walking in your shoes, I need to learn how to listen to the story you tell me about what it's like in your shoes and believe you even when it doesn't match my experiences. So there's a lot to dive into around this, but today I want to relate this to grief and the holidays. A reminder that it's not the most wonderful time of year for so many folks right now. And if you love those folks, your job isn't to try to fix that. It's to meet them where they are. And that's where this idea, this practice of empathy comes in. So what I learned in my Daring Way training, Brene says that empathy isn't about understanding the experience necessarily. It's about understanding the emotion that underpins the experience. Connecting to the emotion under the experience. Why is this so important? Let's take grief, for example, which we know or have heard or can imagine. It's what's called a complex emotion. That means it includes many different types of emotions, anger, sadness, regret, anxiety, just to name a few. So let's go back to the example of my student. In that moment, when she shared that her mom just died, my job wasn't to say, I know exactly how you feel because my mom died too. In fact, doing so is incredibly problematic and we do it all the time, usually with good intentions. But the reality is when that happens, if I would have done that, I've taken over her story. I've hijacked it. I've made it about me. So basically, I took away the opportunity to validate her. And it's really hard to validate someone if you don't know what they're feeling. So let's go back to Brene and the framework from a nursing scholar named Teresa Wiseman that she uses in her own work. There are steps to empathy, which like we've talked about in each episode, that is so cool because it makes it a practice. It makes it a skill. It's a muscle that we're building. I often ask my students and my clients, which step of empathy would you like to strengthen right now? Or which step of the empathy process are you struggling with right now? So there are five steps. The first is perspective taking. This is an action step. We have to be curious and we have to ask what this experience is like for the other person. The second step, Brene jokes knowingly, is staying out of judgment. The goal of empathy isn't to fix anybody or to make things better. In fact, in Brene's RSA animated video, which I will link in the show notes, 
she adds at the very end that rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So step three is recognizing emotion in the other person. And again, this involves getting curious. We don't all express emotions in the same way. And we don't all experience emotions from the same experiences or the same emotions from the same experiences. So it's dangerous to assume that someone is having the same emotion as you just because they've gone through the same thing. So what do we do? We ask. We ask questions. And this is what's building trust. This is what's building our connection. Brene also mentions this is a vulnerable choice. Empathy, going to a place of empathy is so difficult and we screw it up so much because we have to go to a painful place inside of us to meet that other person where they are. And that can be hard because some of us haven't accessed our own pain. Some of us have numbed it stuffed it down. It can also be hard because we love the people who are hurting and we don't want to see them in pain. So our natural instinct is to try to fix it. So a step that many of us skip over, not because we don't care, but because we're trying to make it better. So how do we do this step of recognizing the emotion? You might say, Gosh, you seem you seem really anxious right now. Is that right? This gives the other person the time and the space and a moment to really actually process. They might say, "Yes, that's exactly it. I'm so anxious." Or they might say, "No, I'm not anxious at all. I'm so pissed off that I can't even think straight." So with my student, I simply asked her, what are you feeling right now? She had a really understandable answer. She looked at me for a minute and she said, I don't know. I think I'm still in shock. The point here is that I didn't insert what I felt after my mom's death into her story. I gave her room to think about it. Step four is communicating what we understand about the emotion being shared. So in in our communication classes or even with my coaching clients, we often call this paraphrasing. And so what it can look like is, I get that. You're in shock. That's so hard. It's really understandable that you're in a sense of shock right now. In step five, Brene added from a colleague, a mindfulness expert, Dr. Kristen Neff, and that's the act of being mindful in your empathy practice. It's remembering to sit with the emotion. So feeling it and learning how to move through it. It's not rushing the person through the emotion. And again, it's not fixing it or trying to make it go away. You might ask questions like, How can I support you right now? Or what do you need in this moment? So 
folks who are dealing with grief right now, they want to be heard. They want to be validated. They might want to talk about their grief and their person. They certainly don't need to be told that they need to be happy or cheerful because it's the most wonderful time of year. What happens around this time of year is that we try to sugarcoat everything like a fucking gingerbread house and it gets really, really messy. For example, what happens is we have what Brene calls empathy misses. And we are all guilty of these because, again, empathy is a skill. It's a practice. And so we screw it up and we learn and we try again. There are eight of these. But the ones that I want to share today, and I find most common, especially around grief, are using sympathy versus empathy. So in her video, Brene says sympathy drives disconnection and empathy fuels connection. How do you know the difference? There's a really, really big, big way. And that is to know that any sentence that starts with at least is something that drives disconnection. Again, these are usually really well-intentioned, but speaking from experience, these comments burn like hell. When I struggled, especially the first holiday season without my mom, a lot of friends and family came to me with, at least she's in a better place. And in my mind, what better place is there than here on earth with those that she loved most, including me, her daughter, and her beloved grandson, Micah. And then, because my mom died of cancer, and because she was on hospice for 15 days, and that process is gruesome and hard to watch, there was, at least she's not suffering anymore. So let me be clear. Of course, I didn't want my mom to suffer, but what I've learned about why this comment was so upsetting to me and why it made me feel so angry is because it's like a roundabout. In this moment, it avoids the fact that I'm hurting. It implies that I shouldn't be or I should get over it because she's not in pain anymore. And so if somebody's trying to be there for me or support me, Practicing empathy is just recognizing that my pain is real and it's here. Another empathy myth that Brene talks about is being the advice giver or the problem solver. So again, this is really common. And me bringing these up isn't to shame anybody or make you feel bad about things that you've said. In fact, it's a common experience. When I talk about this in class or with my clients, I kind of get these, oh shit, moments You know, people realize I say at least all the time. I thought that was good. I was trying to, you know, make light or or show them the bright side. And that's okay because we can go back and we can try again. Brene calls that circling back. So with the advice giving or the problem solving, I got a lot of your mom wouldn't want you to feel sad. Your mom wouldn't want you to fill in the blank. Yo, you just need to. This one really threw me off 
because I felt like I didn't even know what I needed. And then I had a slew of people telling me that I just needed to do all these different things. You just need to get up. You just need to go for a walk. You just need to stop crying. Or my favorite came often from my father. Mandy, you just need to calm down. Believe me, in some moments, if I could have, I would have. So friends, I hope today that you learn that empathy is a lot like love languages. We all speak it a little differently. We speak different versions of it. And we get to know our people. We get to hold seats of empathy for those we love and we get to learn their languages. It's really a gift. So even if you have screwed this up, it's a gift to go back and try again, to say, hey, I didn't show up for you the way that I wanted or I learned something new and I wanna get curious about what you're feeling right now. So empathy is a skill that builds connection and trust and encourages us to share our stories because we're asking questions, we're getting curious. It fosters the expression of our own emotions. It fosters the expression to listen to the emotions of others. And it takes time and practice and patience. So I hope that you think about what we talked about here and how you can meet some of your grieving people this season right where they are. A final thought today. I'm from the Midwest, so I would probably appreciate a big hug if I've just shared something difficult and vulnerable with you. But I understand that that's not everybody's empathy language. It's important to remember that sometimes saying nothing is saying everything. I will link some videos and resources in the show notes that will be really helpful. And my ask for you, again, is to please subscribe and leave a review on Apple or Spotify. I read all of them, and as a new podcaster, they really have an impact on how far the show reaches. I'd also like to remind you that ornaments are still for sale on my website, kindredandbrave.com. 10% of the profits go to Together Rising in honor of my mom. And the funds will help the production of the pod, as well as a big, exciting place for us to hang out online starting next month. Please go to the website and sign up for my newsletter to get that alert. I'm building somewhere exciting for us to share our stories and stay more connected. In terms of a card today, I wanted to share a company, actually, that included a card as a gift. I was on the search for a unique gift for a friend, and I came across a company called People We've Loved. And their page says, our objects, cards, prints, paintings, and books are meant to facilitate connection between people and help them have authentic, sometimes difficult conversations. Giving in to nostalgic thoughts, buried longings, and hope for the future People I've Loved embraces the whole range of human emotion. We revel in the gray areas and want to make space for your tears and your joy in equal measure. We are in search of the miraculous yet tragic definition of what it means to exist in this time and space. I'm obsessed. I love the gift that I received. I'll be buying myself some things as well. I believe that they're based out of Oakland, California. Along with the gift came a small card. It's called a mini meditation. 
It's got a beautiful illustration of a woman looking out a window, probably sipping some tea and some flowers. It reads, I can do hard things. I trust in the randomness of life that some things are out of my control. Thank you for being here today. 